0: Welcome to Radio Free Brooklyn, um, our third segment of iArt New York, brought to you by your hosts, yours truly, Isabella Gola and Rebecca Major. My name is Isabella, and I'm a visual artist and an independent curator, and I work for the Polish Cultural Institute New York. Rebecca Major is a visual artist studying master's in art history at Hunter College. Today, for our Third segment so far, we have in our studio special guest, Miss Coco Doll, who I will introduce in just a moment. But first, um, I'd like to announce uh, this show's mission. iArt New York is a talk show that will explore current exhibitions and events in and around New York. We'll compare uh, museum retrospectives and reviews of shows around the city and highlight what we think is relevant interesting um, we'll also be bringing in to you interviews with artists performers curators and critics in our next week's segment uh, we are going to uh talk about um two large ongoing uh, museum retrospectives that's nary ward we the people at the new museum that features over 30 sculptures, paintings, videos, and large-scale installations um, from throughout Ward's 25-year career. And the survey exhibition of uh, Frida Kahlo, The Appearances Can Be Deceiving at the Brooklyn Museum. The aim of the comparative is to reveal new aspects of these two influential artists and whatever the curatorial thought behind it delivers and how those artists... uh, works are presented, and what do they say with the narrative within the museum architecture. So without further hesitation, I'm going to introduce today's guest, Miss Kaka Dole. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. So nice to have you on iArt New York, our third segment. Let me introduce um, a brief bio about you. Okay. Um, I was trying to narrow down from this extensive <laughs> material. I know. But I, I always uh, try myself. I, I was so attached to everything. <laughs> but, um, Editing. Uh, <laughs> um, Coco Dahl was born in 1974 in Avignon, France. She's a French-American artist and a curator whose work explores themes of the body, identity, and feminism. Over the past decade, Coco has developed a personal no- mode of working that merges the roles of artist, curator, and a performer, Ms. Doll is an avant-garde curator within the feminist conversations in New York. She's the founder and director of Legacy Fatale, founded in 2008. Uh, it's a performance art project built on notions of ancient mysticism and punk female leadership, and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in 2014, she developed her curatorial eponym, Milk and Night, producing feminist exhibition concepts while building her community. Coco is also the program director of Transville at Katina Tabakaru Gallery.
1: Katinka Tabakaru, yes. That's, that's <laughs> I know.
0: Pronunciation. Thank you so much. International. Um, she has presented n- numerous concept exhibitions, including at the Spring Break Art Show, the National Arts Club, Untitled Space. While working with pioneer artists such as Betty Tompkins, Kembra Polfer, our narcissist, and the Gorilla Girls. Mm -hmm. Her personal works have been exhibited and performed extensively, including the Queens Museum, Czech Center in New York City, Miami Art Basel, Deitch Projects, and Manchester Art Gallery, Armory Show, and Performa 13, I know you performed with a Polish artist, uh, yeah, Paweł Walthammer. I'll ask you later yeah. about that.
1: Yes, he um, invited me to perform. Yes.
0: Um, your work has been featured in numerous publications, including Forbes magazine, Art Forum, Art News, The New York Times, Time Out, New York, Brooklyn Rail, and so many more. Um, you're also the grant recipient of Arts Council England and the Art Students League of New York. And um, you're can you say you're a New York-based artist?
1: Absolutely. New York-based.
0: So both France and, well, and New York.
1: Definitely. Well, I'm French-American. Um, and also, I've been here for 20 years now, so I definitely consider myself a, a bridge between those two continents and countries. If I can you know, pursue that, that'd be great for my next 20 years of career. So yes, based in New York, but also activating in France. I'm starting to activate a little bit more there. Mm-hmm. So the things we do here and the things I do here are not very um, known. I mean, France needs a lot of, you know, so the f- a lot of activation in terms of feminism as well. The the, the extension of the work and the practices that I am able to, to do here, I'm, I'm not sure I would have been able to do it in France mm-hmm. had I started there, you know. But New York gave me a lot lot of uh, opportunities. It's a free, yeah.
0: Those are such different variables, the United States and France. Yes. It's two different continents and uh, different cultures. But like navigating all the different roles of an artist, curator, choreographer, um, performance artist and an activist. Um, I mean, how do you reconcile all these complex roles and how identities of all these roles Inform each other in your practice.
1: Well, it took a while in the making, Mm -hmm. for sure. You know, it's it's like it's still I'm still adding, editing, building up on it. Um, It wasn't a clear statement at first. Okay, well, when you start, you're like, okay, I'm a painter, or I'm a photographer, or I'm a performance artist, or I'm a sculptor. I started off as a painter 20 years ago. I was convinced, you know, I was going to be a just career in painting. But because I had started um, when I was eight years old, I had started dance uh, practice, so I was a dancer for all my teenage years throughout my early adulthood, and uh, I, you know, also performed professionally for um, for 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 festivals and uh, started modeling as well. It's kind of like kind of all came together. Um, because of the body, you know, I was aware of my body and I could wear the clothes, I couldn't give them life. So I got in, um, involved with uh, designers and people that were creative around clothes. And uh, so they're all participating, also building this awareness around performing, you know, as a creative person. But... But in my mind, I thought I was a painter. <laughs> so I went to painting school. I did a painting show. I had two solo shows and I was painting, painting, painting. And then um, I was invited. At the time, Deitsch uh, Projects was pretty the, the center, the hub of the downtown art scene in the late 90s and early 2000s, Dutch Projects. Um, they were, you know, everybody was there. It was like the... Uh, the, uh, the 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 avant-garde art, art scene of New York City, so I got involved with um, all that scene. I was, was part of it, but uh, they had this. Uh, they started this annual art parade. So I was a painter in my head and was doing shows. I had a short solo show in a, Chelsea, in a gallery in Chelsea, and uh, but every year they would do this art parade. I mean, it's like actually the second year, the curator were like Coco, you have to do something. I was like. Oh. What, what what do you want me to do I mean I, I don't know I don't have the parade in and streets you know they're like oh come on I'm sure you're gonna do something great and you know what I started thinking about it I was like well that's interesting why maybe I can do a live painting you know so mm-hmm. I so because I, I was in Avignon at the time I was in my, my house in the south of France and um of course, all my paintings were a reinterpretation of revisiting art history and iconic imageries with evolving women. Um, so I was in Avignon, and I was like, "Oh, what about what if I do a, a live interpretation of the demoiselles of Avignon by Picasso? You know, then that will make sense for me as a painter too, you know. So I started with that idea, and I worked around it. And because I had some background in fashion, and fashion production, because I was modeling and I was designing. It was modeling for uh, fashion designers. I had a sense of like producing a show, so costuming and makeup, and you know, like like a show, of, like production. So I started activating that creative part of myself, mm-hmm. and and then I recruited my friends. I'm like, okay, you're gonna be that, you're gonna be that character. So I had all all these amazing uh friends character that uh how, uh how
2: many characters are in that painting well, there's I like mean, five, there's five five female mm-hmm.
1: um uh nude mm-hmm. you know like crooked and um very mm-hmm. angular faces so there's th- three standing and two kind of crouching right, and right. there's like a bowl like a a um some kind of a fruit bowl but you know and uh, then I did a little bit of research on this painting and originally this painting was called uh, the, the Philosophical Brothel. Uh, and <laughs> I know it was supposed to be a brothel because Avignon, my hometown, where I come from, is, uh, was the, the, uh, the historical settlement for the popes. You know, they, we have like a big a popes palace. It's a big castle where the popes used to live there. But it wasn't 14th century, like middle age. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there would be like this parallel world where there'd be a lot of brothels, like prostitutions, oh. and like, you know. So Picasso made a kind of a critical uh, painting about Avignon. The demoiselles of Avignon are actually prostitutes, you know. And, um, and in the original painting, he, there were supposed to be two guys on the side and then he erased it so I brought in like five uh, characters in my live painting and two guys and I also started I had this kind of gigantic foam board uh at the time I just I found them on the street or something you know, I lived in the East Village. It was very much like the East Village era. I was great. You know, I had my own studio and every, the rent was much cheaper at the time. I had my own studio, like big 500 square foot, 600 square feet apartment loft on, on the street. And um, I was, it was like barely a thousand dollars, you know, in the East Village, you know, it was great. And, then you know, you just like find, find things on the street. So, I found those big like foam core panels. I was like, oh, you know what? I can do like props with that. I'm just gonna cut, cut out. So I cut it a bowl of fruit, you know. And I cut it like some like pillars and like to, to activate, you know, and, and frame the, the performance. And um, and I called the cocos demoiselles because it was my interpretation of the demoiselles of Avignon. And uh, so I, I was very excited about that. Yeah. So it was, was my first performance. So it was my first inaction of like coming out of the painterly world into more a performance art piece. I mean, I've been a dancer for 15 years prior to that. Mm-hmm. but I didn't put it together. Yeah, Dance,
2: It seems like yeah. the perfect uh, metaphoric object to create for your stepping into the physical realm from like the 2d to the 3d in a sense exactly. because um painting too yeah um but also it's um so like referential historically speaking like looking back on art history and then building on that legacy and uh, and also like and the male gaze versus your interpretation of reinterpreting yes
1: that uh, absolutely and at the time actually I wasn't really aware of that concept of the male gaze you know that came after you know but definitely I was already doing this like re uh, reclaiming you know the, the the female gaze within the, yeah. the, the male uh, artistic you know like this big male yeah and in that creation. sense
2: in that particular case it's almost a reenactment yeah um uh, of the, of the of the models in the painting or the imagined models in the painting, yeah. something like that. It, it almost is like a retracing through a reenactment, yes. imagined reenactment. And
1: right. they were not my models were not naked. So then, so I had so I, rebr- I brought in back the uh, you know the visual and the aesthetic of the prostitute. You know, and the, I mean the the frou frou girl, like the the flapper girl or the frou frou and. Uh, they were kind of sexy, sexy pin-ups. You know, it was more like a pin-up uh, interpretation of the <laughs> demoiselles Because it w- it w- you know, I had a really good time. We all had a really good time. And 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 uh, yes, we were mentioned in the, in the New York Times by Holland Cot- Cutter, who was wow. um, writing about the whole parade. And he was like, "Oh, I really like this piece by Cocodile Whimsical." Uh, so uh, so then you know, it gave me a credit and validation to. To continue, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is great!" So I think I'm going to do it every year. Mm-hmm. So voila. So performance art started, kind of came from this uh, cross pollination of like uh, creative mediums in New York City. It didn't come from my my personal like. My, it didn't start in my brain per se. You know, it kind of. But happened you stepped naturally. up to
2: that opportunity yes, from
1: absolutely from
2: those uh, experiences and uh, lessons that you had learned as a performer. And dancer, that's very cool. Yeah, well, yeah the uh, Jeffrey Deitch projects was was that on Worcester or they still have a, um, a smaller size gallery. It's on um, Grant. No, is it Grant? They have
1: broom. two broom. Yeah. yeah, they had two uh, large space. One on Worcester, one on Grand. I think they kept the one on Worcester. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. That's, so. That sounds uh, really amazing, spectacular. Red- definition of what uh, a, a scene painting. By a male, such notable, iconic male artists can yeah. mean and um, entering with a gesture, you know, very strong gesture. That really sounds like yes. a gesture that uh, is, you know, from the pantheon of gorilla girls. Yeah, do you associate yourself with that movement?
1: Well, the gorilla girls are, I mean, they're they're pioneer feminists. You know, I don't know if I compare myself to them. I'm I'm very honored that I, c- I was in contact with them. I, I curated their work in, in a couple of shows. Yeah, uh, specifically
0: referring to your um, Lincoln Center uh, at Mercedes-Benz Pavilion uh, Gorilla Action from 2014 and also the Art Basel Gorilla Performance in Miami. I, um, um, I just thought that uh, since it had the word gorilla in it I, and also <laughs> it's since it referenced... Yes. Uh, that you know, uh, you collaborated with them before. Uh, well, so I, I, I showed it's a their work of yeah your lega- of you know the legacy.
1: Well, legacy Fatale is my ongoing. This the, the legacy fetal came after the, the Coco's demoiselle because first my my aesthetic was more tapping into the world of pinups and um, uh, woman as an object of desire and you know this commercial aspect of like. Woman in in uh, uh, in the media, so I was working from that source. Um then I, Legacy Fatal is a, from a different source. It it became my main focus um, because I saw a documentary on PBS by an archaeologist, American archaeologist called Janine Davis Kimball, and uh, she devoted thirty years of her life to the exploration of these those uh, female warrior women called the Amazon Warriors. So they're Greek Amazon Warriors. They're not really Greek per se, but we call them, they, we think they come from Greece, they're all on these Greek f- vases and stuff. So she, she, she did archaeology research and she wrote books about it. And she found out actually that they really existed. So she kind of broke the idea of that was the, the myth, you know, because for us it's just a myth, you know, they cut their they're off and everything, but she proved scientifically they existed by retracing a DNA from a a, a bone that she found in a a tomb, like a tomb in near the Kazakhstan Sea. Like those, you know, women warrior, women on horses, like soldiers and um, murderers too, you know? Um, And she retraced the DNA uh, from a, a bone that she found like in those tubes, tombs that dated like, maybe a thousand or 500 BC Mm -hmm. into a, a Mongolian girl in our contemporary world. Now a farm girl in like the, the, the the mountains of Mongolia, the same DNA, exactly the same, like 3000 years later. And I just, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that discovery just struck me and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, I was like, wow, why, why, why did this so, I mean, these women, they, they, they they felt the need to gather and to create a society of their own. We don't know so much about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, now there's a little bit more books, but it's not like there's, uh, you know, they, there's no cities that were just built by them. I mean, it was taken, you know, they were battling the Greeks and the Greeks took them over afterwards. But, um, and they, wow. so I was just fascinated. I was like, why, why why did they feel the need to, to create a society of their own at this time? I mean, it was right, it was before the, the birth of the three main patriarchal religion, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, Christianism and, I mean, the Judaism and Muslim religion—all these like three main mm-hmm. male, uh, male-oriented uh, um, right. Religions. Is there something
2: we don't know? It was the ancient Greek society much more patriarchal than we're aware of. That would have um, exactly. incensed them to remove themselves from society. I mean, what we do know—I mean, what I know very little of—is that that. Um, um, well, there was that whole like uh, fraternity of like men who indoctrinated uh, young boys into sexual participation. that there was a kind of accepted um, practice of that. All right That's kind of maybe a hidden aspect of ancient Greek culture, but that was pretty acceptable. But I wonder if that a patriarchal kind of,, um, yeah, Resonance went into other aspects of levels of society as well, we don't know.
1: I don't know, I, yeah, it's still a little bit of my it's the mystery, you know, I'm mystery. reading books about it. Nobody has a clear answer. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, that's that was like, oh my God, this is a great um great pool of uh, of 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 research for me, you know. And so I kind of fantasized about an army of women. <laughs> and yes,
0: uh <laughs> absolutely and like
1: that I was, I was just wanted not, and I've, I've been just obsessed with like recreating that utopian society of, of female leaders so mm-hmm. um yeah, which so was like two thousand years ago two thousand years ago yeah. yeah
0: which was the kind of foundation for providing this uh greek myth and yeah i was also thinking about um a superhero that later became a part of the pop culture icon Wonder Woman, which actually you know, it's the tale of the Princess Diana of Themyscira. Um, her original, you know, story says mm-hmm. that she was formed out of the clay of her mother Hippolyta, and um, and the life bestowed upon her by the Greek gods and making her, yes. you know, the only
1: yes,
0: uh, her, you know, the only Amazon. Yeah. not conceived by a yeah. man so she was like the only god born yeah uh, i mean wonder, wonder woman,
1: woman is an amazon yeah she's born um, from the amazon queen and turned into this pop culture icon Definitely.
0: yeah and then she becomes this fictional superhero and like a sex icon and then yeah. again subjected yeah. to the male gaze yeah. and just mm-hmm. by the way she was translated by the comic book you know uh well not the uh, publisher of you know the, the books it's themselves by dc comics but who, who did the the actual character that became later um. uh, you mean
1: uh, Carter in the yes. in, yeah yeah the actress in the actual TV show Wonder Woman
0: yes yeah. um she became objectified again absolutely
1: well yeah
0: uh, so it's interesting you bring her as a reference to like uh, reclaim her power in a way out out and back you know from mm-hmm. the popular culture which diffused it and sort of reversed it. Um, you know, into an object. And yeah. what you're doing is sort of re- like taking it back.
1: Taking it back, yeah.
0: And centering that vanishing point of like what <laughs> she has <laughs> been in popular culture back uh, to, you know, her identity as a female and as yeah. a...
1: Well, um, I'm I'm blurring I, all these lines actually, this good point, with uh, an approach which I call... This is why I call it punk, wild and punk leadership, because, and
2: this is the legacy fatale. Yeah, that so we legacy. Yeah. yeah, the
1: yeah. the performance project the legacy fatale. I started yeah, ten uh, years ago. I still go on. I mean, we perform like t- between two and five times a year. That's all I can afford. You know, I mean to. So I, I'm also a mom, by the way, so I'm a domestic, you know, I mean, not, I'm not a domesticated woman, but I all. have domestic <laughs> duties. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm bound to the school system. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I can only do so much, you know. But um, we perform regularly. Actually, we perform next uh Next month, uh, upstate at the Rosegill uh, art, Artist uh, Residency, uh, which is the sister compound of uh, Grace Exhibition Space. Oh, really that's popular. right! And
0: you did perform there before, um, yes. in two thousand eighteen, uh, through fire and water, yes. which was the ceremonial performance. Yes, um, and uh, I, I wonder, with like, when you invite the public and you invite the performers and mm. you blur all these lines yes. of choreography, dance. Uh, Uh, performance um, and life interactive uh, and you bring it to the site specific concept you know context and uh, the participatory experience integrating and you know transforming all these um, into one uh, landscape how do you um, navigate as the creator do you uh, are you more of a buddhist who sort of dissolves in the universe (laughs) and or do you, do you the, somehow preserve, you know, that web of, uh, you know, your um, central kind of, you know, uh, choreographical role in right. that organic space?
1: Well, um, Legacy Fatale is a concept, but it's also a troupe. You know, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the creative director. I'm the founder. It's my concept. But I invite other female professional artists, dancers, healers, um, moms and activists to participate and create those workshops with me. So I act a little bit as a curator and a creative director. I map out the programming, and then I I'm good with movement and dance, but you know, there's a whole healing world out there. this is what I call like the wild. The wild kind of leadership, wild, the wild woman mysticism, all these like female circles, woman circles, ancient uh, rituals—you know—that we are tapping. There's a whole culture, especially in New York, around uh, uh, these uh, revisiting uh, ancient rituals and ancient mm-hmm. woman uh, uh, awareness and consciousness from uh, the pagan history and uh, and through a matriarchal lens, and we all revisiting it through the practice of healing of, uh, so there's, a, there's a, there's a whole community of uh, healers out there that mm-hmm. exist that, you know, they're focused on like female, female focused issues, you know, like, uh, uh, the period, your period, for instance, or like, uh, motherhood you know, so, mm-hmm. and they, uh, so I am friends with a lot of people in that community as well. Yeah, or so how, I bring them, I how bring about them.
2: just the trauma of living in New York uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> and being a mother yeah. and yeah, having yeah. Yeah. and this civic landscape getting yeah. you know in well, the another, whole yeah. organic processes yeah. of performing and living parent parenthood, family life.
2: Well, what's also interesting <laughs> is that um, there's the oral history that is associated with women's form of passing on information. Sometimes it's recipes, um, healing recipes, um, advice, things like that. But it's all coded and secretive because women were traditionally blocked out of, you know, intellectual circles and uh, Mm -hmm. participation and indoctrinated uh, language of, you know, intellect. And so it all had to be rather secretive and so there it's all that information is there but it's buried it has to be refound and true and uh mm-hmm. or tapped into mm-hmm. maybe even instinctively on some mm-hmm. level
1: yeah and uh, this is what i do when we're when we are upstate for instance So, well there's two aspects of a legacy fetal. okay first legacy fetal. why le- i mean it comes from yes Femme fatale. Okay, femme fatale is a term that was used in the, in the 1950s to designate those uh, female characters in film noir that were, you know, the the pivotal uh, problematic. You know, because of that femme fatale, there's a problem. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. That's right. And it's, so they're fatal. with that as well. And so they're they're fatal yes. because they're
1: they're. They're absolutely divine and inac- inaccessible, but they're always dramatic and there's always a problem. There's always like a mystery or there's always like a pivotal, a criminal right. she's a scene like behind always it. The,
0: uh, Trapped. She's the key to resolving of the trauma revolving around the phallic anxiety revolving around resolution of the investigation. Exactly. Or she's the obstacle to get there. Or she's the villain. Yes. Or the villain. She's the vamp or uh, yes. somehow detour to,
1: <laughs> to getting there. But <laughs> right. she, cannot,
0: n- she can never be a regular female with exactly. all that defines femininity and womanhood. She always needs to have this the supernatural features. And uh, when I looked at your paintings, first you, you painted her... The um, The femme fatale, the yeah. femme fatale in yes. the New Wave Cinema, the French yes. New Wave Cinema from 2008, your, yes, your painting yes, yes. series... Um, and, uh, and then you yes. brought that concept into this performative. Yes. Um, so that's, uh, it's, it's blending um, uh, in Legacy Fatale, there's a blend of the pop culture, the, the source heritage of the ancient rituals, and then your own interpretation on that. And I wonder if you um, connect with the term New Age as well? In
1: that? Yeah, I mean, I am friends, you know, new age music, new age group. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm acquainted with a lot of communities that, you know, revolve around that terminology. Um, I mean, I gave home births. I had a doula. You know, I'm friends with like women that are outside of the regular general the medical system. Um, the, so witches. That's, yes. the witches. Yes. They definitely are,
0: yeah, and that's
1: need called them. you. We need, yeah. Well, you know what's very interesting is I was
2: I was uh, studying a little bit the um, early modern period, mm-hmm. which kind of starts around the year fourteen eighty, and be- before that is the medieval, right. uh, You know, and first before that is Romanesque and medieval, and that entire era was actually, I don't know exact specific examples, but it was more. Women enjoyed more freedom, and then there's this idea that in early modernism, or early modern period, and henceforth till now, is really the formation of capitalism and, and how the suppression of women's freedoms and capitalism are in sync together. Right. Mm-hmm. And in such, I just thought I'd mention that in a very broad sense, but uh, we are living in that. We are living very much in that world. So any space that we carve out is understanding that that's the structure.
1: right. But also, I mean, women form a large part of the the economy. I mean, the economy, we are a, a, a fantastic force of, of the economy. I mean, without us, the world is losing we there's so much money made around us our right. bodies right. our our our, our labor. wardrobe our labor i mean so much you know i mean we Which is if called, we stop uh, if we stop buying things tomorrow the world collapses yeah. i mean seriously
0: I, I we're so great
1: consumers this. and we always need like every month like just our bodies need something every month like we need to have you know we need to buy um tampons or pads or whatever. I mean, all this, the culture around, you know, the female organs is huge as this cultural economy around it. Mm -hmm. You know, the male don't bring so much, you know, uh, economic power around (laughs) their organs. And I'm also
0: thinking here about invisible labor and uh, emotional labor that is being performed in like the confines of the homes and hidden you know, in the domesticity and camouflaged within um, those parameters that uh, separate females in, you know, in homes, mm-hmm. far from feeling like they are connected.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, well, that's when they're in like a very kind of like a classic domestic or classic family uh, yeah. g- g- format. Um, I haven't chosen that, you know, I didn't choose. I was very early on. I mean, I come from... My parents were not very conventional, Um, but they were together, they're still together. But I always thought I would never get married. Now that is not for me. And I didn't even think I was going to have kids because I was like, oh, I'm probably not adequate for that job. <laughs> like, oh, no, thanks. And I was not really wanting to be around those kids, you know? It's only in like later on in my 30s as uh, I just uh, guess I was just uh, more in tune or my hormones maybe kicked in or and then just it sparked up in me. I was like, you know what? I have to have a kid mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I knew I've I met the, the father, just like, great perfect GNA. <laughs> that's how <our> I thought. <laughs> and uh, Scientific. Perfect, let's do it. <laughs> mm. And
0: yeah. um, again, like that's totally invisible and the whole storytelling, the support that uh, women providing that uh, structured and uh, the proper patriarchal uh, accepted by, you know, the, 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 the white, you know, <laughs> um, uh, I wouldn't say um, you know, middle class, but the dominating, you know, yeah. uh, structure with the family, that's, that's totally,
1: um, well, I mean, it's terrifying for deconstruct, me That's
0: yeah. deconstructed, I think, through the performances that you're doing, oh, you're yeah. showing totally different model that's inclusive of the family and the children and those circles in, in a very different way. Would yes. you would you talk about having <laughs> you know families with with, ki- with kids do, during your performances? Or? Yes,
1: I it is. Um, I'm still again, you know. Thank you for asking all these questions. I'm still discovering and, and 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 unraveling the process as it as it comes along. I I will be doing this project until I I die. I mean, it's, it's a lifelong process for me. Um, There's two aspects in Legacy Fatale. So Legacy Fatale is femme fatale, but it's the legacy, the legacy of of, of women's forbidden and unburied history, right? So that's why it's the legacy. So what we're doing, we're excavating, we're excavators of this buried truth or this, I don't have an answer, you know, where is it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. all doing that. I'm doing this to my extent and, you know, and then I see other women doing other projects. I mean, even like a radio show on female mm-hmm. uh, artists is another way of excavating we're all trying to figure it out you know mm-hmm. so i see this project as a more like almost like an archeology span project you know where do we come from who we who are we i mean what were we before uh, before the before the world that we know, the domesticated world that we know, where we are domesticated, you know, mm-hmm. what where, where how how did we function? How how was the relationship with the male or with the family functioning? Because I'm not, you know, definitely there's uh, the the incentive behind the project is from a feminist lens, uh, but in not rejecting, you know, the male principle or the male the male presence. The masculinity, or the, you know, I, I, I want to include them as well, you know. But I mean, we're the leaders, but they're included. Some of them, us uh, some, <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, in that sense, probably I'm I'm uh, figuring out a new model of uh, living that dynamic. I'm still trying to figure it out, but mm-hmm. I think the process is through the practice. Through the practice of performing, through the practice of uh, building those workshops and inviting the kids, the mothers, the family and the male into the performance right. is, is a way to, ex- through the experience. I mean, w- this project is very much based on the phenol- phenomenology of the body. It's a very Jungian kind of approach where it's all about experience. Uh, right. so, uh, you yeah. also
0: reference uh, Helen Susu. Uh, and is that and so how you pronounce her name yeah is this um, yeah. and her feminine writing as writing of the body so i'm thinking about your work um also in that terms that you know you're speaking through your body your body is the medium you communicate uh you perform uh everything centered around from within uh, the body and i was um thinking about her and also janine antonine Uh, for a moment and her uh, loving care from 1993 do you know that piece of work where she's painting the floor um, in the gallery with her hair occupying the space in in very minimalistic uh, you know the performance of like 50s -hmm. 60s -hmm. time but I was thinking of her as a reference to your work in a different way uh, but uh, just enacting that you know um, that very domesticated but uh, making it so obsessively ritualistic and, um, and in your work also, there's the, the, the ritual and the obsession, but enacted through a group, through a network. And I, I was wondering which uh, specific um, uh, cultural references are you drawing from, from like the indigenous, you know, the source heritage cultures that you're looking at? Um, would you talk about sure. that more specifically?
1: Yes. Um, I do not have any indigenous references per se. I mean, this is, you know, I, I come from a, a European cultural background, um, but I definitely bring maybe more like Celtic, you know, Celt, um, pagan rituals. And uh, I think, you know, this kind of like celebration, ceremonies, like uh, community gatherings happened everywhere around the world, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in all different forms. Um, so I'm <laughs> I'm more thinking about like women's circles and uh, folklorism, all these folkloric gatherings and uh, um, festivals that we're celebrating, for instance, spring, or we're celebrating... Um, uh, it, it, it it comes from probably more a, a report to nature, a report to nature. How before the industrial world, there was the more agricultural um, presence was more important, right? So there were all these festivals around the se- seasonal festival around our agriculture, and and uh, so it's more in a relationship to like uh, nature. And the femininity or female empowerment, so it's so like celebration rituals, um, um, the act of gathering, uh, chanting, uh, which you know occurs in different types of folklorism in Europe as well. You know,
0: sounds amazing. Thank you so much. I'm just going to take a brief break to okay. credit the radio Free Brooklyn for a moment. <laughs> Please sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with the new programming, upcoming RFB events, interviews, ticket giveaways, special offers on RFB swag, and more. Sign up for the newsletter at radiofreebrooklyn.org newsletter. There is also this uh, new project, which is an after-school program for local teenagers uh, launched by Radio Free Brooklyn in 2019, to learn media literacy through media making using a hands-on approach guided by local professionals if you'd be interested in participating or donating to this program please go to radiofreebrooklyn.org/afterschool and remember all donations are tax deductible and this great after school program is actually conducted by the founding and executive director, Tom Tenney, of Radio Free Brooklyn. You're listening to iArt New York on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are back on the air. Uh, wonderful. We've covered quite a lot. And
2: I wanted to ask you about your drawings because we've covered your performance. You have, well, numerous portfolios, but one of them is the Village Voice pinups from 2007, and I read one of the reviews, the reviewer described it as humanizing or bringing back the innocence of the the pinups. So what you did in that piece was you looked through the Village Voice, when the Village Voice was still around, and you looked through the classified sections, which were mostly um, women for hire or Trans for higher I mean, we're not sure. You you know, but it's and you use that as your um, model for these drawings, and they do really do that. I agree with that reviewer's assessment in that it kind of brought back this childlike, yes, uh, innocence of the of the individual. But it also does something really interesting because you're taking something from mass-produced format and then making a singular piece. And of course, there's a precedent in pop art history, and I wanted to—I kind of isolated it to um, a Willem de Kooning piece where he did a portrait um, in his style, of course, uh, of Marilyn Monroe in this kind of abstract expressionist brushworky way, and I think it was in a piece from 1954. And of course, then there's Andy Warhol after that, but there's that legacy, and he's doing it from a male perspective. You're doing it from your perspective as a female, so you're kind of going full circle with that. You're bringing it back and kind of reinvestigating that whole pop legacy and history through your reworking of those images. Um, are you still making work like that? or?
1: Um, That was the moment in time, definitely, because it was uh, related to the Village Voice, the newsprint. uh, And um, at the time I was experiencing the Village Voice myself every week, you know, on Wednesday, I will get the new Village Voice. Um, And so, yeah, those they were maybe five, six pages at the back pages of the Village Voice were those personal ads Mm -hmm. um, where you had women were trans for hire with their phone number and their names and. Um, So the series is um, identifying them into a new uh, pop and whimsical, colorful Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, world and and, and, um, execution. Um, I almost wanted to write their numbers too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Should I write their numbers? Maybe in the back as a little candy. Um, So uh, that was a moment in time. After that, I did... I worked on like series of like uh, Victoria's Secret catalogs. Uh, I like to work in series. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm not doing that at the moment. I'm doing another series uh, for now. I'm doing a 1920s flapper girls mm-hmm. series. So I'm, I'm always revisiting a mm-hmm. series of, uh, of, 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 of women or mm-hmm. feminine, uh, world of uh, that is uh, almost you know available for the public through mm-hmm. through that. So I'm revisiting like this kind of like a object of desire, fam, uh, and uh, bringing into I guess my. My palette, which is very naive. I'm not a, like a hyper-realistic painter or, you know, I'm not, wasn't really interested in that kind of hyper-realism. I'm more interested in the, in the line and the mm-hmm. essence and painting is still very dear to me. Only in New York, it's it's been very difficult to keep up with having a studio, mm-hmm. paying for all the materials and paying for two rents and like, oh my God, you know.
0: Yeah, I find so. your paintings uh, really uh, embracing the the body and also playing this humoristic game with the pop culture and making these like pin-up, you know, the classic, you know, pin-up images of female yeah. bodies into kind of fragile, sensitive, and yeah. but also humoristic with the line, with like how you navigate the line that become very sensitive. Yeah. I was also uh, thinking about one of the references um, that you brought before Annie Sprinkle, because you, oh, yeah. uh, you've worked with her and <laughs> she's an American a, yes. certified sexologist, yes. sex educator and former sex worker, uh, feminist stripper, pornographic actress, cable yes. television host, porn magazine editor, writer, sex film producer yes. and sex positive feminist. Yes. Uh, so also, I wonder what does the pornography culture like as an artist and the curator and an activist, how do you use that element of, you know, of the
1: Pornography. pornography? Well, again pornography is another is another Avenue of a public a female body is a public um, uh, commodity a commodity or? yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean you can buy it okay but it's porn is easy to find even for free I mean it's a public commodity almost I don't have a particular um, my work is not inspired by pornography itself but I embrace pornography the, the way it, and I don't have a problem with nudity. I've never had, you know, I've modeled, you know, I don't have those, um, barriers or those, uh, I think, Pornography is, an, is a big, industry. it's very controversial theme because I mean it's sensitive. I'm not sensitive, it's just like, oh, there's a lot to talk about. You know, I mean, how do you reclaim pornography as a female artist? You know, and I've, I'm friends with you know some artist peers are doing that actually very well. I mean, Betty Tompkins, you know, I've met many years ago. Uh now is uh, completely has been uh, uh, validated by the art world. She's been painting fuck paintings for over 40 years or 30, 40 years. Yeah, Betty Tompkins. She's, you know, reclaiming like porn imagery and blowing it up into hyper-realistic paintings. And now she's with PPOW Gallery, which is a pretty big uh, feminist gallery in New York City. But in the 70s, she was struggling. I mean, her paintings were, they the, the paintings wouldn't pass the borders, you know, I mean, at the, at the custom in France, mm-hmm. like I remember mm-hmm. there was an episode of, her, of one of her paintings being like uh, uh, abducted by the, the, the customs because uh, pornographic. Mm-hmm. So pornography at the 70s was, you know, very, it was booming and it was a booming industry, but at the same time mm-hmm. it was taboo and it was... Uh, so today I feel like, especially in our art circles, I mean, p- pornography is the easier topic to, to talk about, I mean there's also another artist I've been working with like Leah Schrager. She's like reclaiming uh, sexual and uh, sensual uh, uh, imagery by being the model, the photographer, the creator, the director of everything you know like because pornography is is, uh, is um, it's still a very male centered uh, wow. industry. But yeah, I don't really particularly, I mean, I'm interested in the subject, but I don't use it in my work particularly.
0: Again, it's coming a, back it's a large to reporter. the body as the medium, as, uh, you know, the vessel uh, to communicate ideas rather than having it, you know, choreographed as an object on yeah. of the male, mostly male gaze. <laughs> like it was yeah. the case, you know, with that exhibition in uh, 1985 at MoMA, an international survey of recent paintings and sculpture that was actually 84. That was one, 165 artists uh, that included only 13 women. And, uh, and that was that's how Guerrilla Girls uh, started. started. And the curator, Kingston uh, McShine, for those listeners who, who don't know the Guerrilla Girls history, uh, he said at that time, that you're either part of this exhibition or if you're not you should the artist who wasn't in the show should rethink his career so that has opened up this whole protest movement uh, which at first it was a protest movement then it became something something more uh i'm coming back to gorilla girls because i'm curious about the project that you curated that involved their practice and also because they, they later on uh were functioning with making up pseudonym, um you know of uh, famous female artists from the past that they were enacting and there's katherine kolovitz alma thomas rosalba Carrier, frida Kahlo. um so i wonder what was the nature of your project with them and uh would you have a, a an alter ego female artist <laughs> that uh-huh. you would <laughs> that you would associate with oh
1: um Actually I I curated their work I curated uh, the guerrilla girls work their posters you know mostly like posters that they exhibit and words and you know uh, I curated their work in my first uh, exhibition feminist exhibition called milk and night it all started because I wanted to I I understood the the community there was a large and vast pool of female artists out there that were just, they needed to come together. And at the time, there was not a gallery or a museum that was really focused on female artists. And so a couple of like independent curators started activating that conversation and was just one of them. And uh, I reached out for the the Guerrilla Girls because I was following them. I mean, uh, the work is just, wow, mind-blowing. I mean, all these like... Uh, it's almost scientific work that they're doing about, you know, female, um, the female territory in the art world, and they were very nice and friendly. I said, "Of course." I'm like, "Okay, great." <laughs> so, I curated their work in my first exhibition, Milk and Night, in 2014, amongst other uh, pioneer feminist artists here, like Betty Tompkins and Camra Fowler, which I have met and also performed for, and uh, and uh, a variety of. Uh, contemporary emerging artists as well. Uh, so that's how I actually worked with them. I didn't, you know, perform with them per se, but uh, I showed their work in a, and I brought their work as well in a Miami Art Basel at uh, the Select Fair. At the time I had a booth, my first feminist booth, 2014, yeah. So I brought them there too. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: And who would be your alter ego feminist? Feminist uh, artist or just feminist? So, a have female to be, artist. Uh,
1: does that have to be a dead artist?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it doesn't. It let's, uh, yeah, let's
1: overtake. Uh, well, I'll be an Amazon, of course. You know, <laughs> so I guess I'll be a pop, <laughs> <laughs> a pop artist or a pop culture uh, figure. Well, by the I way. like, you know, Georges Sand. I mean, you know, she's more into like, literature. And... Niki de Saint-Falde, I would say. I would be Nikki de Saint-Falde. Uh, she's french american and uh she was a feminist uh voice but at the time nobody was using that word per se i mean she she used a rifle gun and you know shooted uh a painting and she was one very she she had she understood the power of like performance and and then did performance activism with her paintings mm-hmm. and uh then she became a sculptor also. she was married to uh, Jean Tingoli, uh, another French sculptor. But uh, yes, that would be Nikit Saint-Fal.
0: <laughs> and uh, speaking of gorilla girl Girls, just one uh, last reference. They will be performing at SUNY Plattsburgh on May 10th. That's the State uh, University of New York in Plattsburgh. At, that's upstate. That's Thursday, May 9th, actually. May 9th. A workshop uh, going on on May 10th. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's that's really worth checking. And when out. is
2: yours at Rosekill performance?
1: That will be for Memorial Weekend, uh, Saturday the 24th. So, we'll okay. be a participatory public participatory workshop and performance event i um, not sure of the title yet. I'm still working on it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll be uh, conducting four different workshops, uh, one by Shona Cummings, who's a hypnotherapist, one with Heather Dukes, who will, he's, she's also a therapist, and she will bring some animal spirit, because we want to include also the, the kids and you know, the youth uh, programming in there. And we'll have a, a sewing workshop by uh, Eliza Jimenez of The Hunger World, which is a, a punk avant garde designer I used to work with uh, 20 years ago. I was modeling for her actually, and she was working for uh, Courtney, Courtney Love at the time. And uh, so she will conduct a sewing circle. She also did our last uh, costuming. Uh, the new uh, costume uh, um, uh, word uh, that we have and uh, and we will do so hypnotherapy, animal spirit, uh, sewing circle and then of course uh, a, a movement and dance performance uh, for the public where we will include and incorporate uh, men. And I think for this, this year men will be they will have a special role in this mm-hmm. performance. Um, they will act as a karyatids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. is a, you, you know that term? Oh, it's great. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an old, uh, these are old like sculptures. Like they were female sculpt- uh, sculptures sculpted into the doors, you know, of, of uh, the buildings, mostly in Europe. Mm-hmm. And they were holding, they were like pillars, you know, holding up the, uh, the doors with their hands and their heads. So they were like the the holders of the of the of the household, Cariatide. Mm-hmm. and I will I will give them this role somewhere within the performance because it's interesting in the the legacy fatal performance. So it's female leadership and and female focused performance, right? But. Because we're inclusive of man, they're also interested. They want to. It's, they're curious. They're like, where, 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 where should I be? What should I do? Because mm-hmm. they, they, they feel that they cannot lead. They're not allowed to. <laughs> they're not allowed to lead. I mean, we're we're the leaders, you know. So, me and all these like my troop of have uh, other professionals, we lead, and uh, and and the male also need to have. So it's like about defining a new role for them also mm-hmm. and giving them space to keep their masculinity. And uh, yeah, so it will happen uh, May 24th, uh, Saturday, May 24th in Rosekill, New York. It's upstate near Kingston.
2: Mm-hmm. I definitely want to go. That'd oh, yeah, fantastic. I That'd be great.
1: Yay. Um, you can come for a day or you can... Mm-hmm. you know how many it,
0: days is it
1: uh, it's the, it's one day it's one day Saturday again. it starts at 2pm it will end around 8 and then then we'll have a festivity mm-hmm. with like uh, some uh, some a gathering with uh, a light uh, and
0: that's the continuation uh, of your uh, Milk and Night project or Legacy m- Fatale
1: f- that's f- Legacy Fatale f- f- Milk and Night is my eponym as a curator when I'm curator of a fem- as a feminist curator I use Milk and Night it's another umbrella Right, and, and the that quote from
0: Helen yes. Uh My words are written in black and white. In, in milk, milk and Night, yeah. Um, and she's the Jewish Algerian French writer of fiction and theory, um, feminist an- analysis, for those listeners who, who need more uh, reference on that. And the theater, she's writing um, yes. on theater as well. And she commands uh, close attention to calling it life writing. As a, that's like the key element in her writing. That's like the feminine writing, life writing, writing of the body. Yes. Um, would you talk a little bit more about that and how that connects with the Milk and Night?
1: That's well, it. I used Milk and I, I, Night. When, when I first did the, the exhibition, um, I invited other curators, female peer artists, to co curate with me just to open up and broaden the conversations. And uh, what are we going to call this show? I didn't know what to call it. You know, feminism? Ugh. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are we going to call it? And then uh, we came upon uh, Helen Sisu's uh, writing. And, uh, and upon that sentence, my words are written in black and white and in milk and night. So it was a beautiful, uh, like, poetical metaphor for the binary worlds that we live in. Black and white, good and bad masculine and feminine yin and yang push and pull all these binaries and dualities that we constantly live in but there was a poetical form so Milk mm. and Night came up as the title of uh, the uh, uh the first uh exhibition i curated and then i just kept the uh, the title as the as a curatorial activism kind of platform I i kept curating more shows afterwards yeah
0: Mm-hmm. And just one more uh, performance. I'm really curious about the one that you did at Performer Thirteen with ah, Altamura, Paldem- or uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, in conjunction, or in response, or I, I wonder about that relationship. That was the performance. Uh, Right, with the, w- in which you yes. enacted the the the, the, Jissea. the, the Jissea, yeah. a tale of sacred f- fantasy. Yes. It was a solo performance. Yes, uh, the mythical spirit, and then you talked about the biblical tree of Jesse. Yes, uh, would you talk about that element of like also the Bible and how yes. it's related to Pavel Hammer?
1: All right, so Jessea is my solo performance act, right? Legacy Fatale is the group, the troupe. It's a, a collective and of uh, the social practices. Jessea is just my, my personal uh, solo work. Um, inspired by the tree of Jesse, which is a biblical term uh, that retraces the origin of uh, humanity. It's, it's kind of like a, a genealogy tree. So uh, it's it, it's supposed to retrace the genealogy of uh, Christianity. So it's it basically is going back to the roots. But just say, and I I wanted to feminize it, <laughs> just say, ah. I, find I put an A at the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, also because I wanted to maybe tap into this metaphor of Adam and Eve, and Eve as being the center, that the origin of female identity is, it's the bad seeds, you know? Oh, mm, there's the
2: tree and exactly apples Exactly tree. trees. Yes.
1: So. so trying to figure out and again, like an, mm-hmm. excavating an origin or something mm-hmm. like that. So um, so hence the, the title just say, um, and I didn't want to do a nude performance. I think the nude body has been used uh, uh, numerous times in feminist performance art, and I just, mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be about being nude. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I covered the body with uh, um, this uh, white uh, paste uh, um, paint, also inspired by the idea of a moving statue, Mm -hmm. because I come from Avignon. My hometown is uh, the the center of an international performance art festival called the Festival d'Avignon. And I, I grew up with that. I grew up watching it you know, every year for a month the whole town will turn into a gigantic festival of performance art mm-hmm. like everywhere like stages, plays, or like theater, performance art, like music and uh, troops and troubadours, circus, like the whole town will transform into a performance art. There will be like thousands and thousands of like posters and like Mm -hmm. announcements and like the little cafe will turn into a performance. This is what I love
2: about Europe. I've I've experienced this, not uh, in Avignon, but traveling in in the Netherlands and I I really love the feeling of
1: Festival, festival,
2: yeah, and it doesn't have to be necessarily like gallery level high art, exactly. but it's somewhere in between. It's not exactly. popular culture. It's it, anyway, but yes. go on. I just wanted to interject. That yeah, yeah. It's, can, it,
1: again, it's the idea of a folklorism, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of folklore, which which involves, you know, um, uh, community culture and folklore, which is. Uh, festive um and so, celebrating. Yeah. And, and there's the some
2: really great artists that are doing things yeah. like that. And, yeah. it, and the government yeah. like yeah. helps yeah. to promote this yes. work. And it's exactly
1: I like the we idea l- of I mean, lack
2: this in, in, yes, in America. of course there's small pockets of like what I mean, you're you doing have, with gray space and here yes. and there there's little pockets. Yes, but
1: there's little pockets, yeah. And then you have Coachella so <laughs> <It's laughs> different it's
0: happening right
1: now <laughs> yeah no it's a very different level yeah I mean so how did
0: it happen the collaboration uh, with Pavel Walter uh, so,
1: uh, so the Pavel I met at uh some gathering in New York he was invited by Rosalie Goldberg as one of uh, his main uh, her main uh, artist highlighted highlighting the performer 2013 so I met him and I just we kind of clicked. We just started talking, and and I uh, went to see his work, and he was like, oh, "I mean, you know, I'm I'm going to have this very particular event with a uh, performer." Uh, I mean, he had a show at the New Museum as well. You know, he had the oh, whole was like 2014. Yeah, the neighbors. Th- 13. Yeah, 13. Yeah. No, that was 14. was it after?
0: Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, curated by Massimiliano John. Oh, ah, yes, okay, yes. Gary. So for what
1: 2014, yes, uh, Rosalie gave him a space in Brooklyn and he uh, invited a couple of like um, Brooklyn artists to participate in his performance event. Well, he had a major sculpture, like he had an outdoor sculpture, a gigantic out- outdoor sculpture. So he wanted to activate the space with performance All right, So I think he has he had a cello player. And uh, I told him about my solo performance piece, Jesse, I was like, "Oh my God, I love this." So he he invited me in and I performed during the event. Very simple.
0: Yeah. It's so so much of this legacy that you started years ago is continuing. So much of it has transformed and from the painting, um, it's it's just a, a very comprehensive, uh, you know, thank uh, you research that you know a pleasure to do that looking at your work thank you so much for being with us today thank you for having me it was wonderful Um, and again your next performance is uh, will be uh, rose
1: skill art residency uh, state uh, so again linked to grace exhibition space Uh, I will post a Facebook announcement very soon if you follow me, Coco Doll. Um, And uh, then we will also be performing at the next Shashama Gala event. Shashama is a big art Mm -hmm. foundation run by Anita Durst and she invited us to perform for her gala. And then I'm working on other projects as well, but I... I will keep it secret. <laughs> oh, we'll follow that. Definitely. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. Thank you so for much for having with me with us yeah. Thank today you. on iArt
0: New York, which is part of Radio Free Brooklyn. Cool.